Good morning. It's Wednesday, May 27th from a beautiful Pacific Northwest. My name is Chris, and yep, this is Tech Talk Today, episode 176. Do you smell that? Yeah, it's B.O. Yeah, yeah. Yep, Google I.O. is just mere hours away, and the collective smell is already gathering around California, wafting its way up along the West Coast to the Seattle area. And yeah, it's definitely got a Google I.O. stench in the area. Tomorrow, Google I.O. kicks off. I won't be live tomorrow, but we will be doing more coverage next week on some of the more interesting things that launch in uh, Coda Radio and also in Tech Talk. But stay tuned. A little bit of uh, information about what you can expect, potentially, at uh, Google I.O. tomorrow and what uh, Google's planning to uh, maybe rock our worlds with. But first, let's bring in that mumble room to cut through some of this crazy tech news. Time-appropriate greetings, mumble room. Hello, Chris. Hello. 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 <laughs> you know what I love about you, Popey, is uh, it's uh, you were right on it. And you might you, you would think might have a disadvantage because of distance. But no, no. Latency be damned, Popey. Right on top of it. Good to have you I've here. got a hotline right <laughs> to your face. Oh, <laughs> is that what that red line is? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know what to make of this story. You know, I think one of my soapboxes that probably gets pretty pretty sick and tired of hearing me go on and on about is um, this the sad state of tech news. And I don't know what this is going to do for that sad state of tech news, but apparently it's going to go further in the hands of The Verge. Vox Media is adding Recode to its stable of websites – so Vox is owned by the same company that owns The Verge and um, Mal, Mal, uh, Malt, <laughs> Walt Mossberg will be writing for Recode, Vox, and The Verge websites now. Kara Swisher and Walt Mossberg will be working for Vox. This is, I think, kind of a big deal. I'll give you a little, re- a little recap why I think it's a big deal. Walt and Kara left the Wall Street Journal. Right, and I think I'm getting this right. They had the All Things D at the Wall Street Journal. They left a rather prestigious paper to start their own business called Recode. They've had the Code Conference for a few years. They generally are one of the main sources for breaking stories. You know, a lot of other places are just reposting stuff, but uh, Walt and Kara actually tend to break stories. Um, and I don't know about Vox and The Verge. Having this now, it it feels maybe like sort of a watering down again of the tech news. But maybe that's just my bias coming through. What do you guys think? Is is this a good move for uh, coverage of the, our industry in general? I think it's good that Walt has somewhere to go um, to uh, to write his articles, and because you know he's someone that a lot of people want to read. I I enjoy reading his articles, so yeah, I I think it's good that he's got somewhere to go that will get good viewership. Mm-hmm. which he will get at The Verge and some of those other titles. Do you think maybe the problem was Recode just didn't get the traction? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose uh, it, it doesn't really matter where you – I'm starting to wonder – people have come to ask like when I'm getting news sources. They'll ask me what websites I trust. And my answer has been is less and less like I'm not so sure I trust websites in, in so much as I trust the authors these days more and more. And I suppose if it's Walt and you like what he does – and he's writing for The Verge or Recode or Vox, it doesn't really matter because it's still Walt, right? Exactly. I mean, I, I, I'll read an article on The Verge and sometimes think, Who, what lunatic wrote this nonsense? And make a mental note to not read that guy's articles ever again. But you know, yeah, but it works the other way as well. Like you say, if I see something's written by Walt, I'll be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll read that without, you know, knowing knowing that it's going to be decent content. I just well think this out. is I think this is interesting um, because, first of all, it was an all-stock deal. 
Um, so that's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, also, uh, it's in the shadow of the recent shutdown of GigaOM, which was another source of some original reporting. Uh, so it feels like a bit of a, of a consolidation again, like the market's going through another round of consolidations. Um, and I guess I guess it's it's about not all bad things. I'm a, I, I watch it. Uh, Kara Swisher in, her, in an interview said, "Everybody's bigger than us. It's not a secret that being a small fish is really hard." Recode said it had 44 full time employees that and three contract employees. They are expected to join Vox, though Vox would not elaborate on potential staffing changes. I guess since Recode began operating independently, companies like BuzzFeed, Vice, and Vox have each ranked in tens of millions of dollars in venture capital while heavily setting up staff on young journalists and aggressive advertising departments. However, Recode has struggled to draw significant traffic. The site receives 1.5 million regular monthly visitors, according to Comscore. Isn't it interesting they can't monetize 1.5 million monthly visitors? <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's because you have 44 staff members. Uh, so, And, of course, Vox, Vox got 50, 53.2 million unique visitors in April, according to Comscore. Uh, the Verge alone got 12 million, according to Comscore. So both the Verge and Vox, much larger than Recode ever was. So I think you hit the nail on the head, Popey. I think that's exactly what the situation is. Uh, now here's sort of the uh, fly in the ointment, because one of the big investors in Vox, Comcast. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and it looks like Comcast was recently in negotiations to buy Vox all outright, completely, for about a billion. Um, I think that's uh, been paused right now. But uh, the likelihood of the deal, it's hard to sort of guess, but uh, Comcast seems to be pretty interested in it. So it could be that Recode and The Verge and Vox and SB Nation all just end up as part of Comcast after this. Ah, That wouldn't be the best. That wouldn't be the best thing. That wouldn't be the best. I guess no more stories on net neutrality. (laughs) Sorry about that, guys. Why does Comcast want to buy everything? Seriously. They, they got to own all the things, man. They got to own all the things. And, you know, they also, while you're at it, did you know Comcast is selling home alarm services? Yeah, they'd like you to get a home. Come on, get get your Comcast phone what? service, by the way. Come on now. Come on. Yeah. Well, just in time for uh, – all right. So this, I think, is going to be the last super heavy U.S. story. I'm sorry, Popey. I'm sorry. This is the last heavy U.S. story, but it's just such a go figure. You know, the U.S. just went through tax day. Uh, just not feels like – it was just yesterday, but it was the 15th of April, more than a freaking month ago. I don't even know how that's possible. But the story is going around uh, today, and I don't. you're not going to hear about it on TechSnap this week because we, we, this is the week we pre-recorded an episode. So I wanted to get it in this episode here really quick. Uh, it turns out the IRS says that uh, thieves have stolen tax info from more than 100,000 citizens. Sophisticated, sophisticated criminals, they say, used online services run by the IRS to access personal tax information for more than 100,000 taxpayers as part of an elaborate scheme to steal identities and claim fraudulent tax refunds, the IRS said on Tuesday, which was yesterday, uh, as of this recording, I have a re- I have a link in the show notes. Especially if you want to check out the world's worst flash player. Watch, see this flash player right here. See that play button. Watch what happens when you click it. Uh huh. Oh, I got it. Oh, but then I clicked the picture because I was clicking around. Like, oh, look at that! It started. Online service provided by the IRS to gain access to personal tax information from more than 100,000 taxpayers. These include um, uh, tax returns and other tax documents that were filed in previous years. Okay. This is a service that's been around for a while. It's called Get Transcript. Uh, You can go online and you have to provide a lot of personal information and it allows you to get copies of old tax returns. You might need that kind of information if you're applying for a mortgage or applying for college aid. Now, 
what made this unique is that these the criminals they needed to have a lot of personal information about these people in order to get in in the first place they already had their social security numbers and their dates of birth as well as their addresses and uh the tax filing status for them now the irs is uh, believes that they wanted this information to help them uh file false tax returns and claim fraudulent tax refunds in the future. There has not been any major breaches at the IRS up until now. And in fact, the IRS is resisting the use of the word breach because they're saying it wasn't like hackers did this. Uh, these people already had information and they simply went into the online service and used it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you think about the 100,000 taxpayers, sounds like a lot, you know, more than 140 million people filed tax returns this year. And even with this transcript service, about 23 million people used it to get transcripts last year. So the IRS is going to notify all of the taxpayers involved. Uh, it appears that these thieves uh, attempted to access uh, about 200,000 uh, accounts, and they were successful in 100,000. All 200,000 people will be notified, mm. and the IRS says that they are going to provide a credit watch service for the 100,000 oh, people whose information was actually accessed. Experian, everybody. Free year of Experian. How about that? Uh, so there you go. That's about all the information you need to know on that story. And it sounds like it was a third-party contractor, not the IRS. Himself. That's super good news that it's only 100,000 people. I mean, that's that's great, isn't it? Well. We should, we should all be celebrating that, surely. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Arseholes. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, how do you like this? How do you like them, Apples? Microsoft's going even deeper within into Android. Microsoft is partnering with LG, Sony, and other OEMs to sell Android tablets featuring, you guessed it, OneDrive, Office, and everybody's favorite Android app, Skype. Uh, Microsoft announced, <laughs> I know, they say, we're excited to announce that 20 additional global and local OEM partners, including also some of the other ones were like Positivio, Wortman, I don't know some of the other ones, Haler, will make Microsoft productivity applications and services available on their Android tablets. So it's basically like two big, uh, got two big names and like 18 unknown people. These, uh, now it's, uh, okay, so <laughs> now they have 31 partners in total. The, uh, Android partners that will offer Android tablets pre-installed with Word, Excel, PowerPoint, OneNote, OneDrive, and Skype in the near future. They will be available on the new LG tablet, and the new Sony's will include them on their Xperia Z74 tablet in the next 90 days. They're working pretty hard on this. They're hustling. Popey, you got any calls from Microsoft recently? Uh, no comment. Yeah, let's do that one. <laughs> what? Come on. No, don't say that. Now you're making me suspicious. You think they'll write that in QTML? Let's see them. I'd love to see them do it. All right. Uh, speaking of phones, OnePlus is teasing another phone. Do we care? You sort guys of. probably do. Chase probably does. Uh, yeah. It looks like it's. They say it's time to change, and they've erased half the phone with a pen with an eraser. They have an outline of another phone, and they're saying we're always looking for ways to shake up the tech industry, and it's time for a change. Find out more on June first. Mm. What's the rumor? What's well, the speculation that it's going to come with a pen? Yes. The, so far, the rumor is the OnePlus will feature a top-of-the-line hardware specs, similar to like um, like the uh, S6 right now. It's going to have an octa-core Snapdragon 810 processor, 5.5-inch quad HD display, 4 gigabytes of RAM is the rumor. Uh, it'll ship with their new uh, version of Oxygen OS. It will, it'll be the official like breakup at, with post-Cyanogen devices, like the official post-Cyanogen device. And some say it's going to be a little more expensive than the previous one. In a recent interview, the CEO uh, kind of implied that people should expect to spend a little bit more money, that maybe they'd like to actually start making money at some point. <laughs> should uh, new customers also expect the screen to go yellow uh, when they're using it? Oh, is that a thing that the OnePlus yeah. does? Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't hear that either. I, that Unfortunate. Doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. 
you know, these things sort of crop up and you don't hear about them very much with these Android devices sometimes. Well, I don't know how much, you know, these people blowing out of all proportion and, you know, there's, you know, the same thing with like Bendgate and all the other, you know, oh, my phone is a disaster, yeah, therefore right, yeah, everyone's yeah. phone is a disaster. Yeah. I don't know how much of them is that. I do know that the OnePlus One is a really nice device. You know, yeah. I have a friend who has one and they're lovely to hold in the hand. They're a bit big. I have like tiny lady hands. To be so totally honest with to you, use. it did feel slightly cheaply built to me. Uh, it felt like a great phone. It felt about as well built as my Nexus Five. Compared to what? Well, right. Compared to like, I don't know, nicer phones, like like, like the Nexus. Well, like the like the Moto X Two, the Nexus Six, the iPhone, the S Six. Um, they all feel like better built phones to me, but they're all a little bit more expensive too. So that's fair, I guess. The thing about the and One Plus by is multi million yeah, dollar companies. Yeah, the thing is about the One Plus is it it feels about on par with with the Nexus Five. And uh, and it's about the you know, but it's it's a much nicer phone than the Nexus Five. So that's how bad can you go there? And Chase has the Nexus Six and the One Plus because he's a, he's a lunatic. And uh, the Nexus Six, I think overall, feels like a much nicer phone. Um, it feels uh, a little bit bigger. And uh, I don't know. It's just they're both cool phones though. Uh, and uh, what I I would love to, I think I would love to see the One Plus sort of just become. A phone that you could run anything on. I think you could run any OS on it. That would be really cool. Maybe what maybe well, they seem quite open to yeah. hackers playing around with their devices. But don't you so, think you're going to need more yeah. people having them to experiment to get that stuff working and ported over to them? Isn't that sort of the missing piece? You got to have a I wide think enough. You need the early adopters yeah. to to muck about with stuff, and once they get them working and there is images out there, I think other people start to follow when they see, oh, there is a, an image for you know, whatever, Yoller or whatever mm-hmm. on that device. You know, I'll be, I might be more interested in buying a device. If, yeah. You know, well, if, sometimes if, that gives a device like a, a whole new life on eBay. You know? Exactly. Like the Nexus 4. There's still a lot of people out there looking for the Nexus 4. That's kind of interesting. <clears throat> All right. Mozilla's got some changes coming to the way Firefox handles extensions. You probably already knew about this. Next week, they're activating two new features. Uh, the signing of new add-ons of, of versions after they've been reviewed and the add-on submission for developers who wish to have their add-ons signed but don't want them listed on the AMO. And, and I guess the AMO is the, uh, uh, the, the, the Mozilla extensions uh, add-on site. Um, so I wanted to give you a heads up because if you have some favorite Firefox extensions and the developers are not signing them, I do not believe starting next week you're going to get updates for them anymore. And I might be wrong because I'm not a Firefox user, so Mumble Room, if you know better than me, please correct me. But I, I wanted to give this announcement a little bit of attention because it was posted today on the uh, blog.mozilla.org site. Also, they're announcing a new developer agreement. Um, they say, since we'll be signing add-ons that won't be listed on the AMO, we have updated the add-ons distributor developer agreement to cover new ways in which we will handle add-ons. This document hasn't been touched for years, so we took our time to significantly update its contents to reflect how we do things now. Hopefully it's easier to read than previous versions. The new agreement will go into effect on June 1st. The version that is displayed on the AMO when you submit a new add-on will be updated then. If you want to stay up to date with changes, you can check out their wiki. So they've got a new developer's agreement if you're an add-on developer that you might want to be aware of. And if you're an add-on user... You might be anywhere about them signed extensions. I think that's going to be a big deal. But I can totally understand why they have to do it. Those things got to happen. So this is your uh, final warning. Tomorrow's going to be Cray. It's Google I.O. And uh, the word is Google's doubling down on Android M, Chrome, and Wear. And as a Wear user, I'm kind of interested to see where they're going. Some people are speculating it's going to be called Marshmallow. I'm hoping they go for macadamia nut. Much healthier, but we'll see. Uh, I, I, my predictions, I laid them out in Coda Radio this Monday, so I won't repeat them much, but just really briefly, 
I think we're going to see the Internet of Things OS, Brillo, from, um, from, from Google. They'll probably call it Android Home. I think we're going to see for the first time Google really go after Microsoft, more so than they go after Apple maybe even. Uh, specifically around Azure and uh, Office Online and uh, uh, stuff for the uh, building that out. I don't know how much they're going to talk about that at I.O., but I think there's going to be some of that there. And I would love to see details on Google Glass. What are they going to do with it? I don't know if we're going to see anything, but I'd love to see them say something about it. And wouldn't it be so cool if they came out and said the next year for Chrome is going to be focusing on efficiency and optimizing? That'd be so cool, too. Mumble Room, any predictions for uh, Google I.O. tomorrow? I saw um, someone suggest that they're going to do yearly annual um, updates to uh, Android. So it's going to be, you know, M this year, N the next year, O the next year. Uh, Ship directly than, or to the OEM still? The... Well, I don't know whether yeah. that'll be... Uh, I mean, they're usually... I, I wouldn't anticipate that's going to be any different. It goes to selected yeah. OEMs first and then thrown over the wall sometime after once the commercial agreements are out of the way. If I'm lucky. But still, you know, that's going to crank... Um, way more versions of um, Android out there and more fragmentation, uh, fewer yeah, that's devices why, that's running why the I was latest if, version. That's why I was asking if they would do it directly because uh, how, how, Maybe how, for Nexus devices. But that's like such a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of the users. Like uh, I'm checking right now, I'm checking the developer stats. So, you know, Google actually, I wonder if, wouldn't it be interesting if they stopped publishing this at some point? Uh, so right now, uh, Lollipop has 9% of the API distribution base. Just 9% of users. They haven't even hit 10% on an OS that's been out for a but year. But isn't, isn't part of that, you know, being, being uh, gracious, isn't part of that because there's now such a swathe of devices out there that for most users just work okay anyway, and they don't really need... Um, material design or whatever new Google Play services that, you know, eat your battery that right. are in Android right. L. Right. They don't need that. Right. Yeah, my brother, he's got an Android whatever pre-L device and it works fine. He yeah. wouldn't even know that L was out there. So what does he care? So whilst fragmentation is a problem for a lot of people, actually it's not. It's fine. Well, it's, it works fine. It is a problem. It's a, it's a problem for the absolute most important user base, but I'll get to that in a second. I, uh, I, I would go back and say, just before you move off the yearly release thing, um, if, if, if they did just a yearly release and didn't solve these other problems they have with adoption, that sound, seems like it could be a catastrophe to me. Uh, so I hope they don't do that and uh, without also sol- solving the update problem. You can't, and I'm sick and tired of people telling me that you can update it all through the Play API. I, I will grant you that solves a huge portion of the functionality requirement, but it does not solve a lot of other problems, things like web view vulnerabilities and other issues that Android is riddled with, especially in the 2.2 era. So it, Play APIs can be updated all day long, but it doesn't solve the fundamental issue that the core operating system is different. And the reason why you're, you're absolutely right, it really doesn't matter to end users. And that's actually the huge problem. That's the big-ass problem. Just like XP worked just fine for a lot of Windows users. It, I'm serious. Really, yeah, that was Microsoft's big problem. XP was just more than good enough for a lot of people, and they had no compelling reason to update. But just like in that scenario, and, 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 and this continues to be why iOS is always the, the app-first platform. That's why things like Periscope and Meerkat that just came out, came out on iOS first and got tons of attention and tons of money and funding without ever having to have an Android app. 
And the reason for okay, that so is – no, I'm not done. The reason for that is sorry. is because they don't get their freaking operating system updated because developers never get to play with the latest tools and goodies and, 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 and APIs that Google builds into the OS for them because only 9% of the users are using the operating system that they released a year ago. So all Google is doing up on stage is a cock tease. They're, they're teasing you with all of the fun stuff you could have if they actually had their shit together and got users to install their operating system. So all they do is pretend to have a great platform, and really, they're shipping XP devices. And that is the fun. So, yes, it's fine for users, but it, it fundamentally cripples the adoption for the platform by developers. Hmm. I, okay. So... The other problem with yearly devices, yearly updates is for the ODMs, the SOC manufacturers who are making the board support packages mm-hmm. for their devices. Mm-hmm. They have to constantly keep revving to keep up, mm. up with Android. Mm-hmm. So my prediction is that and, uh, Google are going to go Windows 10 and have one major release and then do incremental updates. Yeah. And you won't get yeah. major releases of Android after like M that. or N. Yeah. And, 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 and I bet, I bet you, oh man, that's exactly what they're going to do. And I bet you for a long time, they'll, they'll pretty much stick to it. And then at some point they'll do like, which should have been a whole nother point release, but for marketing reasons, they won't want to call it that. <laughs> you know, like the companies right. live that kind of stuff. And it'll be there. kept to, to their own device or one major partner like Samsung. Yeah. It'll be held back from everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I like that. And you know, if they did that, if, if they could develop it like that, then they could, you could sort of flip, because in some ways, a, if you if you had something like that, if there was a way though you could genuinely update the operating system, like really fix, because what really gets me at the end of the day is at the end of the day is these people are walking around with vulnerable Linux computers in their pockets, and that's that's actually what bothers me is what fundamentally Google is doing is they're taking a really great operating system and they're shipping it in a way that over time leaves it decaying and vulnerable to attack, and I'm talking like right. you know. Like stuff that you could do over the network when the when it's connected to Wi-Fi and, and things that just really bother me. And so that's where my kind of frustration roots from. Uh, and so if Google could do away could do away with that problem somehow, and and really create so, a, a platform that developers could target, it would essentially become sort of like the, so the the transverse positive that XP has is it ends up being like a stable quote unquote platform for developers to target that doesn't change very often. So as a developer, you can kind of wrap your head around the pros and cons of it and ship applications on it at a fairly reliable basis. And that's a positive for developers in a way. It means they don't get new features, but if you're a type of, uh, if you're writing an application that isn't targeting anybody that's interesting, then that doesn't matter that you don't get those new features. You're probably targeting the enterprise or some boring business or people in their 50s, and you don't care that you don't get new features, and that's fine. And that's going to work for a lot of people, and they'll make a ton of money. And so in some ways, that's actually a pro. And if they could do what you're talking about, Popey, they'd really cement that concept, and you'd get some really great, boring applications. And you also get rid of the fragmentation problem by, by hiding it, by saying, well, everyone's on, let's call this Android 10. Everyone's on Android 10 now. You know, There's all those legacy people who are on the non-updated previous releases from 5 downwards, but all the new people are on Android 10. They might, you, know, you might have 50% on 10.0.1 yeah, yeah. and another 40% on 10.0.2, but it's, it's Android 10. They're all on 10, just the same as everyone else is moving to Windows 10. It may be various subversions and support packs within that, but they're all on 10. So fragmentation is no longer a problem. Uh, I'm not saying people in their 50s are boring. I'm just – what my point is, my point is, is that it it makes a boring platform. But go ahead, Daredevil. I know you want to just jump in. The way way I really look at this is as a developer, 
it has two sides. Of course, I want the new features to, to make a better app, but at the same time, I'm, I just want something. Even if it has errors, I just want something that I can understand and comprehend and learn and actually just keep deploying what I have to do. So sometimes there's a mistake, there's a bug, but if I can work around it and I can learn how to work around it, my product will still be good, my uh, user satisfaction will still be good. So at the end of the day, I think that this fragmentation is not as uh, big of an issue when you have a solid base. And I think this has been the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, API backwards compatibility. Yeah. More so than actually, oh, there's like people in one version or in the other version. Yeah, yeah. The I, 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 you know, it's funny when I, when I, that base. When I talk to Michael Dominic or I get, we get emails into the show, Dakota Radio, what people actually complain more about is – so we're talking about fragmentation like OS versions and, and like, you know, security vulnerabilities and, and APIs. But the kind of fragmentation that the developers bitch to me the most about are things like this device shows the colors in this way. And this device cuts off the edges of my app in this way. And this device, the camera app, when I launch the camera, it crashes. Those are actually the kinds of things that people complain about. And it's like the weird things like like color correction on some of the uh, AMOLED screens and, and, and things like that that they, they just never can predict. They never know what to account for. And it, it leaves them for a loop while they try to figure out what it is. And that's the kind of fragmentation that appears to be really frustrating to them. Um, one of many things. So uh, exactly. Google could also fix that. Google could come out and, uh, at I.O. and say, this is the official way to theme the Android operating system. This is the official way to change the temperature settings of the screen. This is the official way to adjust the brightness. Well, they actually have that. But, you know, you get my point. Like, they could come out and say, all right, you sons of bitches are going to customize. I know you've got to differentiate. Nothing we can do about that. So if you're going to differentiate, use this blessed system. Yeah, it's this open source code that Sony wrote. Yeah, it's the same one that HTC is already using. Yeah, it's the same one that Samsung's shipping on every S6 device and every Sony device. So we already have our three major manufacturers out there. You're already using this open source code. So what we're going to do is Google's. we're going to take that open source code. We're going to sort of lock down and limit what it can do a little bit. But what it can do is going to be your official blessed way. And now when you buy the version of Android that has Google API services, you know, when you make that contract with Google, you get the free OS, but then you get all the Play stuff and you agree to certain restrictions and certain limitations to have access to that Play API and to have those updates from Google part of that package now that Google's going to sell you as an OEM is that theming. So now you're going to get theming too. And that might solve part of the update problem because part of the update issue is manufacturers like Samsung and HTC have to take those Android updates and they got to make sure that they, you know, they have, they've integrated their changes and made their stuff reflect what needs to be changed. And so if you could sort of bypass this whole custom theming thing that they have to do, Maybe that would streamline the updates. Maybe they could remove some of the resources that these uh, custom themes use. Wouldn't that be nice? So there could be some serious, potentially good stuff. Uh, but we'll have to just wait and I see. I mean, at least just make it so that the color code gives the same color. It doesn't even need to be the same engine or build. <laughs> who doesn't matter who builds it. Just make it appear the same color with the same color code. That's all. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, like, It's based on the hardware, so like the screen technology would be different. Yeah, but the, the manufacturer that is customizing, they are they have the spec and they have the colors on the reference device. It's just them not doing their job properly. Mm-hmm. In the end of the day, that's what it is. That's why I think developers get I mean, so annoyed by it. it. Yeah. Uh, well, so 
Uh, and of course, this will be the first I/O since the Apple Watches hit the market. And uh, and 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 in Google's case, I think they're in a pretty good position com- uh, competition-wise with the Apple Watch versus Android Wear. And I got uh, one of the more recent. Like I got, it's not the one that gave me Wi-Fi, but I got. I did get Android 5.1 on my uh, my LGR, and uh, they they changed a lot of things. I don't think I have ever had an, an update to a device that has changed this much about my device. The UI, how you interact with the device, is all changed. What my digital crown button does is changed. How I launch applications has changed. The icons of almost all my applications changed. The performance and battery life changed. Now, all for the better. I like every single change they made. They are on to something with Wear. I don't know if I can say it's a useful device yet, but they're not effing it up. Like, they're serious about this. I think it's a better device than the Apple Watch right now. Not necessarily hardware-wise. Again, it's that same old story. Wouldn't it be great to have, like, Android Wear on the Apple Watch hardware? But, uh, so this is going to be their first I.O. with the Apple Watch out and their device that's a competitor was on the market first, and it's in a pretty good spot right now. Maybe we'll get to see some new devices. I'm not sure. but th- So Google's in a pretty good position right now. Chrome's totally kicking ass. Android's kicking ass. Wear is not selling very well, but in terms of you know building a product that's pretty good and respectable, kicking ass there too. It's gonna be, this is going to be Google's power year, I think. Yeah, the round, the round screens is a bit of a problem. That is a bit of a problem. I'll tell you, I feel like it's been a little bit of a Jupiter Broadcasting power year this year, too, thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash today. I mean it, too. I'm not just kidding. Like, it does kind of blow my mind that in the last, like, three months, we're going to cover, like, three conferences. And then we have another conference we're going to cover. And we're bringing people in, like, Noah's coming in this weekend. Like, we're doing a lot of things that feel like a company now. That's pretty crazy. And and I always thought, boy, once we get to that stage, I'm going to have to have a bajillion shows. I'm going to have to probably be doing some sort of really unhealthy coke habit to keep it all up. And I'm going to have to have a bajillion sponsors to make it all work like i don't know how i'm gonna do it and uh then and then we uh we found this little thing called patreon and i wasn't so sure about patreon before i pulled the trigger the first thing we wanted to experiment with with was uh, unfiltered that seemed like a really safe playground because that show's format is it's ideal for audience funding it's exactly the kind of show you want for that but even then i was a little trepidatious because uh these kind of things can be a fly by night. You don't know anything about these people. So, well, I decided to fix that. Chase and I set up a conference call with the CEO of a Patreon. This is a while back. And we just had a seriously good long conversation. And then we followed up with many email threads and, and then a few Twitter threads. And we really got to know them. You know, they're podcasters themselves. The guy's brother is a musician. So the guy's brother is a musician. The CEO himself is a podcaster. And they needed a model for their for their hobby which they wanted to turn into a career that they were passionate about, and they wanted to go the same route. They didn't want to commercialize necessarily. And uh, so they built Patreon. And uh, I I still, even after talking to them, I sat back and watched it for a little bit because, you know, this is my livelihood. This is how I support my family, so i got to be careful. Uh, and uh, I watched it with some success, and I decided, let's try it. So now we have 496 people that back us over at Patreon, patreon.com slash today. That money is used to raise funds for things like event coverage, uh, hardware replacements. We had a capture card we replaced last week. This uh, weekend, we might be replacing our Skype machine. All these kinds of things are uh, are helped through the Patreon feed, but also uh, helping out our uh, crew when they're at some of these events, planning for shows. We have two shows in development right now, and you never know. And, you know, I also I like the option of never letting a show air. Like if it, if it just sucks and we're not happy with it, 
if I sell it to sponsors, I'm kind of in a tough spot. I've, I've, you know, I've invoiced them for that. I'm kind of on the hook. I'm on the contract. I've got to, I got to, I got to ship a product. And then, and then I'm in a tough spot of, oh, how do I turn this thing into something that I can put my name on, but also meet my commitments? Like it's a really tough spot as a content creator to get into. When you're audience funded, you have the runway to develop stuff in house, to experiment with things creatively, and see if it sucks or not. And if it sucks, you don't have to ship it. And you're not out like some relationship with a sponsor, but you're also not poor. You didn't just break the bank on an experiment. And you have to be able to experiment sometimes in order to push the edge to keep moving things forward. But how the hell do you do that in a traditional commercialized method? That's why I'm really excited about where we're going with our audience-funded approach. Patreon.com slash today. I, I could tell you a million different ways why this model is fundamentally better for producing the kind of content you want. But I think you're starting to get it. I've talked about it a lot. Patreon.com slash today. Thanks to 496 of you. And check out that activity feed. I'm hoping to post something up maybe this weekend while Noah's in town. It's, it's hard to commit to that because when he gets here, we hit the ground running and we usually get like a million things done. And it's, it's you know, you got to remember to bring the selfie stick. And that's hard. But I will try to remember to record something for you guys. Even if I don't, we still greatly appreciate you. Patreon.com slash today. Thanks to all, all 400. And 96 of you. I love you guys. So no show tomorrow. Even though it's Google I.O., I know it's a great shame. It's ironic. So Noah's coming into town on Friday. And I have family leaving town on Thursday. But, you know, I got to get them out of the town. I got to take them down to the train station. And then, so, and of course, this is this is how it works, you guys. This is, this is Chris's life. Is I, I mean, you guys probably know this, but I've been doing podcasts, you know, for... I've been doing Linux Action Show for about nine years, and I did a show before that that nobody knows about for about a year or two. So I've been doing podcasts 10, 11 years, okay? Been doing the Linux Action Show on Sundays for a real long time. To this day, to this day, my family still hasn't figured it out. They still try to call me and text message me almost every single Linux Action Show. And so, as is tradition with my, tradition with my family, the train that I'm dropping them off at is leaving at 9 a.m., tomorrow when I would be doing Tech Talk. That's exactly when I'd be starting Tech Talk. And they get back in town Tuesday at 2 p.m. exactly when I would be starting Linux Unplugged. They nailed it on the head. Nailed it! So, uh, couldn't be coming in Tuesday at like, you know, 10 a.m. No, no. So, uh, Linux Unplugged is going to be shuffled up to 10 a.m. next week. All these changes are always crazy, I know. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar. If nothing else, at least keeps it fresh, right? I know. I'm sorry. But uh, thanks for sticking with us. So this will be the last Tech Talk this week. But I'll be back on Tuesday. We'll have all kinds of coverage. We have a ton of good stuff on Sunday. So lots of good stuff coming up still. Thank you for being here, though. Thank you, Mumbaroom, for being here. Let's leave with a vintage 80s kids computer commercial. And I was on the fence about this commercial until I saw this kid fly in this airplane. I played that same game. I loved that game back in the 80s. Now I'm all about this commercial. So uh, I think this is they're pitching it to the kids to pitch it to the parents. This is some deep psychological sales techniques here to get computers into families. I guess I got to do something. Thanks for joining me, everybody. TechTalkToday.reddit.com. Make this show better and see you back here next week. Have a great rest of your day. When Andrea Barber grows up, she's going to publish a newspaper. But then that's what she's doing right now. Kids are going to freak when they see this. Chris Stahl wants to pilot a jet plane. In fact, he's already flying one. And when Hakeem grows up, he's going to be a record producer. A child with an Apple II computer quickly learns 
there's no use putting off until tomorrow what you can do today.